Today on Time Out Coaching, we welcome a rising star of British coaching, former head coach of the Leicester Riders WVBL team and now head coach of Wetterbygden, Pat Sparks in the Sweden's top women's league. Please welcome coach Krumish Patel. Thanks for having me, Tony. I'm really excited for this. Coach, that's great. Um, now, I know that you've done, uh, you did the podcast with Mark Woods and, you know, he went over some of your career and stuff, but, you know, really want to just talk about, the, you know, those early experiences, you know, how you were introduced to basketball and then how that linked into, you know, the, the coaching side of it. Um, and, you know, did, did, did some of those early experiences, you know, start shaping some of your coaching? So I got introduced to basketball from secondary school. Um, one of our, my PE teachers, John Peacock at the time at Leicester, he, he made it a case that everybody that came had to play basketball. It wasn't optional. And, and it's a sport that none of us knew. So even to a point where the other PE teacher, Jay Char, who was big on football, he was like, if you want to play football, you got to play for the basketball team as well. Sure. So we were, we were thrown in straight away. And then that, that by the way, uh, for the younger listeners, um, that back in the day, I mean, those I can tell, I tell always a great story about my secondary school uh, sport that I learned the hard way um, was when I refused to run on the cross country team. <laughs> yeah. um, and I got, you know, banned from playing one basketball game. And then I decided to run at the back of the cross country um, race. <laughs> Um, and I got banned for one more game as well. So then I had to run at the front, uh, which I was quite good at. So those things, you know, happened back in the day. It wasn't the, the choice that these younger people have now. You know, it just doesn't happen. So, no, yeah. I, for me, I was really grateful for my, my PE staff then. You know, they influenced a lot of my who I am as a person as well as coaching. They, they allowed us to take part in different teams, you know, talk about team element and also the pride for playing for your school, you know, and there's a big thing back in the day. So when I was younger, I played loads of sports. I played rugby, I played uh, basketball, I played football, um, all to like region level. And then I played cricket, but that was because my dad said I had to play cricket. It was, <laughs> it was one of his passions. So I didn't mind it, but as I got older, I still was, I was doing three sports and, but cricket was the one I wanted to drop earlier, but that was harder to drop because my dad really wanted me to do it. Sure. Um, and then naturally, as you get older, you start to become stronger at one sport and I became stronger at basketball. And then um, I made the East Midlands team and I was like in, in year nine, you know, and that, that propelled me, okay, like I'm going to really focus into basketball, you know, uh, playing for like Bob McFadden and Mandy Pollard in their club for Leicester Cannons. Um, and like looking back on it, I was like, oh, Leicester Cannons is a team that's growing. They lasted as long as my career and my team's career lasted. And when we finished, it, it went one more year and that finished as well. Right. Um, but that's how I was introduced into playing. Um, and then I think that stemmed into, into my coaching. So everywhere I was at, uh, the, the coaches always allowed me to lead a little bit. And I think that was just naturally how I was because I played the point guard spot. And I, I, I realized early on, I wasn't as athletic as many people, sure. but I was... I could use my brain a little bit quicker, you know, um, and that stemmed into coaching areas. Am I right in thinking, you know, um, I, I, I met, you know, obviously I know Mandy yeah. really well, but um, Bob McFadden was a, a very, uh, you know, a very good technical coach. You know, he taught the fundamentals very yeah. well, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Is that that's correct? No, you're spot on. Like Bob, Bob was very good for our group. You know, we have, I have close friends and four of us, you know, were in that 
East Midlands into some of them made international teams and we were a very strong team but that started from Bob and who he was it was all technical it was nothing like crazy it was can we do the basics really really well so we did really well in our first year under 14s a new team we we ended up being in the final four we ended up beating Sheffield Sharks who are renowned for junior programs sure, yeah. um, just because of everything that was going and then it's funny because Josh Betts messaged me the other day. He's like, do you remember when we played it when you were at Tassis? I was like, <laughs> that was a while ago. Yeah. Um, so he was that. And then, but that was when I realized the the little detail of the, the your skills make massive difference, you know. Um, but Bob was very good for that. But then as we got older, the game started to change. And that's where he wasn't where we needed to be. But I got, I got lucky again because when Bob finished with us, um, Dave Greenaway came in and took over and Dave Greenaway is very similar in the sense of he was very big on the technical skill teaching us different kind of ways how to play with our body and stuff so I was introduced from a younger age even my PE teacher John Peacock was very much like very look much. at your shoe mechanics what are you doing where are your feet so that's all I knew so right. I was like okay that's how my brain started to function about this is how basketball was I wasn't introducing any other way but that's that's the influences of people around me and as you know Mandy Pollard was the same she didn't really she wasn't really bothered if it, if you won or lost, but she'd question what kind of pass you made, what what why did you make that decision? So all them people had decided to, without me knowing, at a young age, were talking about you know the the right way of playing with your technical skill rather than just you know trying to find ways to win. At this time, um, what year roughly? What years were this? This was in the two thousand period, yeah. The two. Yeah, so I was in. <laughs> it's challenging me now. Um, 2006 is yeah. when I finished uh, secondary school. So when that's when I finished secondary right. school. So at that time, were you were you going to see the riders play? So were, there was a was there an aspiration? You know, what kind of there? I mean, you probably miss. Am I not mistaken? You miss Granby Halls. Yeah. Yeah, but you you're in. You know, when the when the club was you know chugging along at the. Um, the, um, the, what's the facility? Uh, the, uh, John Stamford. John Stamford. You know the yeah. lowest, the lowest height ceiling in, in probably well yeah. basketball at uh, any professional level. I'm pretty certain. That, uh, fear of shooting. Yeah. Um, I actually lost the game because we threw an all. Uh, like, Rob will tell you. You know, we we actually ran an incredible end end line play, which got us a free. Um, but the ball had skimmed on the on the on the <laughs> oh, roof, no. and uh, they they cut, they made us run the play again. So Rob knew what we were doing. So anyway, that's another story for another day. Um, but yeah, did you were you were you were you going there? Did you ever go there? Were you inspired by them? And unfortunately, not so much. You know, growing up, it wasn't. From, I guess where we were, that wasn't the biggest one. Um, I was was a school at Rushamid, um, and we knew more about Carl Brown and the Leicester Warriors than we did about um, the Riders situation. We knew it was there, but it wasn't a thing that was pushed. Like, do you know how now loads of kids do development days, they go, they get the experience. That wasn't there back in the day, but, you know, it wasn't pushed as much. So I know we had a final in year 11. Um, that was at uh, John Sanford. So then you stayed afterwards to watch the game. Sure. And then when I went into college, we would all, then there was more interest because we knew more of the people. It's like Russell was more around. Um, so then we watched a few more games, but I don't know, maybe people have said this story before to you as well, but nobody wanted to pay for tickets. So you'd wait till half time, the, the security would go, and then everybody yeah. would go at half time to watch right. the second half of the game. So, okay, awesome. Um, yeah. but more, more when I was 16, 17, 18 is when I started to watch more of the, the BBL kind of stuff. Oh, the riders, right. I would say. Sure. 
and was that that was just after Billy Mims, I'm assuming. Yeah. Then. yeah. So, okay. Uh, just trying to get an idea of some of the influences that you may have seen as, as coaches at that time. Um, so they talk then what's the next stage of you as a player? Um, you know, obviously you're in, you know, this kind of environment where, you know, I mean, Leicester has got, you know, I mean, Carl Brown is, you know, one of the most famous, you know, players, um, you know, and the, 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 there is a, there's definitely, you know, uh, it's one of those hotbeds for mm. some reason, you know, Leicester became something that basketball was gravitated mm. to. So you've obviously got some influences where, where were you going next as a player? So we were lucky. I think growing up into Leicester, we were, we were blessed with like players that wanted to really compete in basketball, but the coaches around us, okay, Carl Brown is one. He was a big influence in the community. But Dave, Green, uh, Dave Greenaway, sure. he came in from our academy. He helped us. And then Dave Harris was huge in developing players. You know, he, he picked out players from nowhere, same as Carl, and just developed players. So these kind of people were creating players. And Dave Harris, from my knowledge, was the one creating the age group above me. So that was like, you know, Sam O'Shea, Tom Ward, you know, all these kind of guys. Um and they inspired us to be just as good as them, but with now with a different coach, that's Dave Greenaway. Then Carl Brown had, you know, like Raphael, Elliot, Kareem. So it was like three different coaches having three different types of groups, but creating. So the coaching was producing good for youth basketball. Um, but I went to, ended up going to Beecham. We played there with the pinnacle, you know, the equivalent to EABL final. We made that. Our, our competition back in the day was, you know, Doncaster against Bob Martin and, mm. He was great at creating shoes, so it was always good battles. You know, I remember like seeing Rob Marsden play at Sheffield. Now was like, pretty cool because I was like, we played against you, but you were older than us in that EABL kind of sure. environment. Sure. So it's really cool with that kind of situation. So I got to that, and as everyone, I wanted to go to America, you know, because that's what the the dream was. And then, unfortunately, back then, like it, again, it was Dave's new job at the academy. He knew about as much as about America as we did. So he tried what he knew. There wasn't as many links or social media kind of platforms. So it, it kind of it kind of fell short. So then I decided to go to university uh, in Leeds. Um, everyone's always like, oh, how come you didn't stay in Loughborough? I, I, I wanted to move away from home, sure. if I'm honest. Good. And then again, I went back to my PE teachers and I was like, where, where, where is best for me to go for, you know, PE? They were like, they told me a handful and Leeds was one of them. So I was like, I've got to go to Leeds. It was a really cool city. Um, but I went to university of Leeds because I was uh, academically, I was strong. So I didn't go to Leeds met where Matt Newby was. I went yeah, to, that's a shame. Yeah. That's yeah a, that, I went to Leeds Uni because that was the best one for my course. And I was thinking academically because right. I'm like, if I'm in England, I want to focus academically while absolutely. playing basketball. But me and Matt Newby spoke and, you know, we reached, we talked a little bit here and there. Um, and I was going to play for their, their division three team at the time, but it just, the schedule doesn't work well because of the university schedule. So I ended up just focusing on the university, but funny before that, I remember Mandy, when I met with her, cause she was trying to help me where I was going and she was trying to send me to, um, Reading with Matt Johnson. She was like, I think this would be really good for you. Um, and Mandy was one of the first ones that always said to me, she goes, Kramesh, take this how you want, but I think you'll be a better coach and you'll be your player. So <laughs> right. kind of environment because, sure. you know, yeah. He, he had probably had influences in working with coaches. So ended up at Leeds. Um, I took a, a university program, which had one, one team. And, and I ended up taking over the program, became the president, became the head coach. We went from like one team to three teams and a, a girls team. We've, I found money from different places. So we grew that. And we played against Leeds Met a couple of times. Um, their second team, not their first sure. team. 
Um, but we play the first team every year in varsity, so I get to play against Matt Newby. But he has all the guys that I like. Yeah. We got, you know, yeah, we have some good guys. We got, we got lucky with some Sheffield guys and stuff. First two years, we got blown out by thirty. You got blown out by thirty. My third year, I'm like, okay, guys, we, we I don't know what to do, but we can't get blown out by thirty. We somehow racked it into. We lost by like six or seven. I can't remember, but we were right. celebrating like we won because that's yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. But then, yeah, so going to my third year of university, my university offered me a scholarship to, they're like, look, Kramesh, we'll give you some money if you want to coach as well as play. Right. So that's when I stepped in from being a player, player to player coach in my third year. Uh, so that's just, when I started to really step into the coaching side. Just, you know, half step backwards. Um, so you go to university. Is your mindset when you're going to university, right, I'm going to study, I'm going to get a really high, high quality degree, um, was there any mindset to coach at that time or were you just, I'm going to play? Um, and then, you know, is there a moment where you started saying, right, what Mandy says could be true. You know, I actually maybe do have some talent um, to be a coach um, and maybe I should concentrate on that. Well, no, no. I think I went to university because Leeds was a really cool city to be, be, be in. Um, the course was solid, and I was—I always wanted to continue to play basketball. Right. Um, when I was in Leicester, I did some community coaching and stuff with the riders, uh, with Dave Harris, with some Carl Brown camps. I did loads of coaching, but I did that because that's better than getting a job at the shop Absolutely. or the web. Yeah. So I did that, and I did a lot of refereeing. Same situation. I refereed loads. Of, I refereed games since I was 16, 17, because you know that's what again. The influence of Canons was they educators in tabling, refereeing, and coaching. So I was like, "What can I do not to get a job but make some money?" Yeah. Um, so the, my 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 ambitions with them stuff was always to use that as a vehicle just to make some money, not as a profession. And then I remember when I was eighteen, I want to say, um, I had, they they nominated me to referee the final fours. You know, as a as a eighteen year old boy, I've never like okay. Um, so I remember, I remember going, I was referee just for fun, you know, just make some money, but I could referee. So they got me to do the final four. I remember doing the under 13s or the under 15s back in the day in Nottingham. And then but I'm getting assessed. So I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> obviously move forward. But back then, Roger Harris, uh, yeah. he, he, he assesses me and he sits down and he goes, okay, Kramash. I was like, all right, I was just doing this because I want to make some money. Not because yeah. I he he tore into my shoes, my socks, my trousers. Why are you wearing that kind of whistle? Why did you not do this? Why did you not? I'm like, oh my god! Like, oh. but he was like, overall, he was like, pretty good. But you need to change, you know, a lot of things. And he goes, would you want to go on to do your level three? And I was like, honestly, no. He goes, what do you mean? I goes, I think the order is, I want to play. If I can't play, I'll coach. If I can't coach, then I'll referee. Right, sure. And so I I stayed with that mindset. So once I couldn't play I think I naturally moved a little bit once Leeds gave me a chance to be like okay now I can coach a little bit and then that was that was it but I think my mindset even at university was to either become a teacher when I finished or try to move into like marketing and advertising a business side that was the aim of doing it I'm gonna I'm gonna go on to that uh, because you raised an interesting point and I want to make raise it but just also back at this time, um, had you, I'm assuming you done level one and level two. Who who took your level one and level two courses? Oh, you challenged me here. Uh, level one, I'm pretty sure we did it within the club with Bob McFadden and Mandy. Right. Level two was uh, a coach from Northampton. 
His, I think his name was Chris. His second name is gonna evade me now. Right. He was an okay. older gentleman, but he came in. He came and did our level two, and that that was through Carl Brown. Right. Um, and then obviously my level three was through like um, it was in Manchester, and again, the name is it's really bad. The name uh, of probably it. Mel Mel Cassim or Jeff Jones did it maybe. No, no, Jeff Jones was there, but he wasn't the lead. It was somebody else, Graham Heath. Graham Heath, okay, yeah, that's right. My level so they were they were my instructors or whatever yeah, you want to tutors. call them. Yeah, yeah, tutors. okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's go back um, to my 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 most important question. Well, I find this really interesting. Um, I think that as uh, coaches here in the UK, um, we are, you know we get ourselves actually in into a really good position when you take a job like you are now um because you've had to do so many things um you know to get your team onto the floor and you're saying you did all these things uh, at university you fundraised you um you you found money from different budgets you had to plan you probably had to drive the minibus um, you had to wash the kit i mean sometimes you know and i've seen this where coaches from Spain and Greece I mean they 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 turn up into an environment like the UK and they they're just lost because uh, or they go to somewhere else um, like in Asia and it's just they, they, they're used to just turning up to the best basketball court with yeah. all the balls and all the team in reversibles um, and you know having two assistants and two team managers and a and a and a trainer and you know they don't understand how to problem solve some some things so I, I'm interested in know your thoughts if you feel that that's helped you with your coaching along the way what you did at university I think so I think so I think it helped me a lot in learning how and that's how university it taught me how you know it's important to why you have to work with sponsors why you have to you know have a budget you know like it's easy to go to a program be like I want to do this 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 and not and why is there no money whereas because I run my program we had to go out and be like hey, this is the money we raised Okay, now how do we want to spend this money? Like, how do we spend it for transport? Do we spend it on kit? Do we spend it on a night out for the team? All that kind of stuff came into it. So my brain was widened. This is how a program should work. Here's the money and be smart where you're spending it. Um, and I think that definitely helped. And also all the other stuff, like you said, doing everything on your own holds value to the people that do actually come and support you and help you, you know? Yeah. And that was something that, you know, so now when people want to come help me, I'm like, okay, great. Let I want to really for you to help me. But I'm also know that I'm not relying on anyone. I know that I could do it all on my own if I need to. It's a lot more work, but at least I know that we can make it work for now until we can get some help in. So sure. I think it definitely helped us, but also there's a negative effect of in the sense of you end up doing everything and you think that's normal, but it's not normal, you know, and that's a, that's the thing that's harder to get out of. Yeah. Going into this, uh, you know, year at the university and you start coaching, are you um, are you thinking about like how you want to play? Um, was there a style of basketball that you wanted to coach and that your team should to play? Um, were you teaching just the fundamentals? What what were your what were your thoughts on that? I think when I took over, because I was still player coaching, I think I, I changed the style of play to what I've known from my coaches before. That's So I, I think I remember taking a call with Dave and being like, hey, I don't know how to break, break a press. Like, like what kind of things I need to do? And I remember him saying, oh, this kind of stuff. And then offense-wise, I, I picked up on stuff I'd like to play over the last two, three years. And I just we just used them kind of stuff. It wasn't much teaching because I don't think I was in the mindset of a 
teaching coach because I was still playing. Right. So it's more about tactical and conceptual things, how we wanted to play, you know? Um, and we had a lot of joy doing that, but no, I, I, I think as a, as a player coach, it was more about making sure the players are happy, you know, making sure we're playing a brand of basketball that we fits into our team. Um, and it was all based on knowledge I've only known as a, as a junior player, you know, nothing high level at all. Okay, so you go for, you're at university, what's the next stage? Um, and, it, you know, where is this kind of like leading you to, you know, like your first proper um, coaching, coaching job stop kind of thing? So, so I come back to Leicester. So come back to Leicester after I finished university, not really sure what I want to do. Um, and then I really make a decision that I think I want to go into teaching but because it was so late, I hadn't applied for a PGCE. So that would mean I'd have one year of not doing anything within teaching and use that year to apply. So I was like, what can I do? So then I reached out to, because in, before I left, I did a year of coaching with Russell in schools, with us riders. And I, I did a little bit with Dave and I did camps with Carl. So them three, I messaged all three saying, hey, I'm back in Leicester. Is there anything? And I was looking for something that was concrete. Like I, I don't want hours. I want a job so that I go get another job. Yeah. Um, and while I'm doing that, most people don't know is I, I started to work in a, in a petrol station, you know, because they would offer you zero hour contracts. So I could pick shifts. So it wasn't like stressed on that. Right. Um, and then I remember Dave and Carl both saying, oh, there's a couple of hours here and there, nothing full on because that's not what they were doing. They were just working in the community, different schools. Then Russell rang me, brought me in for a meeting and uh, he offered me a community job because I know you're back. Would you want to do some community coaching, go into the primary school, secondary schools, all that kind of stuff? And I was uh, really intrigued. And he was like, oh, I need an answer by, by Friday. It was like Tuesday. So I was like, oh, okay. And then for me, I was like, I don't know if that's what I wanted to do. So I didn't reply back uh, because he said he had two other people he was looking at. So I continued, there was nothing. So I was like, I don't know what I was going to do. Then two weeks later, I remember Russell ringing me back again. He goes, you never rang me back. I was like, you told me you had two other people. So I thought you gave it to someone else. He goes, no, no, no. I think it's going to, I think it'd be really fit for you. Come back in. So he came back in. I spoke with Kieran Wiltshire, who was the, the lead of the community then, and Liz Jennings. And I, I'd known him from school time. So I think Russell was putting, oh, look, these are your friends. Uh, yeah, this yeah. Is what we're doing. This is something yeah. that you can really reach into. So he sold it well with that. And then I ended up doing the community, community job. So that was going into primary school, secondary schools, all that kind of stuff. Um, and what was a blessing with that was that's where I met Joe Pynchon. So me and Joe Pynchon, we were in the same office. So we became really good friends with that. I've known Kieran and Liz for a while. So we became good friends. And then Russell always, always in and out. So I was obviously talking about how the, that side of the business works with the community stuff. Um, so I did that. I grew, I grew different programs. We did like project three on three, you know, we did, uh, we worked with the police and did like sessions to kick, take kids off the floor. They allowed me to run sessions um, at like Rushy Mead, my old school, which we, which became one of the biggest sessions. We went from like, I don't know, 12 kids to 90 kids one time. We had to use wow. double the course because I just knew the area that those people wanted to play. So there was loads oh. of different cool projects with that. And then that also meant I was around more of the riders team because it, you connect with the riders players when you go into coaching. So I took an interest oh. into that kind of team, you know, with Zaire and Jay Cousinard, all that kind of stuff. So that really showed me, you know, that kind of it. But I got to the end of this, the year and I, and I, I sat with Russell I said Russell I think I'm gonna have to leave the job and he was oh how come I goes I don't want to be a community coach I, I like I respect that I, I can do it and I can grow the numbers I like I you know but I, it's not my I don't, I don't enjoy it I feel like I'm not enjoying it so he was like, okay then there was nothing elite at the time 
So then I became, I got a job the following year uh, as a uh, teaching assistant at, at, at my old school because the teachers like, oh, this would be good for you to do. If you want to be a teacher, this will add to it. So if you do want to do PGC, yep. you know, this will help. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, great. And then I was like, okay, what up? But this was maybe it. I'm not going to coach basketball because I want to do elite and there isn't anyone coming to someone that is community coaching. And then I spoke with Dave Greenaway and he offered me a job at uh, Nottingham. He offered me the job at Nottingham to assist him with WBBL or Division One at the time and run the second team, but commute from, from uh, Leicester. So I was like, oh, that's really intriguing. And then I remember Joe Pynchon spoke with Matt Harbour. He was like, look, there's a guy from Leicester, loves, knows basketball, loves it. I think you should give him a call because you're trying to grow here. So Matt brought me to Loughborough, sat me down with his laptop and showed me his depth chart and his, his, his vision. So then I'm like, okay, now I went from having nothing to two options. <laughs> now what do I do? And then I went back and forth and then I rang Dave back. I was like, honestly, Dave, I love the opportunity, but I'm pretty sure I'm, because both of them are unpaid, the, the, right. the volunteer basis. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get to December, January, having working, because I have to work as a TA from eight to four, then drive to Nottingham. I'm pretty sure I'll get to December, January, getting frustrated with the travel and all that and not getting paid. Yeah. And I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I want to really enjoy what I'm doing. And Loughborough is literally down the road. Sure. So I ended. And and then also part of me was like, I haven't worked with someone like Matt Harbour, but I've worked with Dave. I've seen what Dave does, and I can. I know I can pick up the phone to Dave anytime. So I was like, right. let me learn and have a different challenge somewhere else. So then that second year, I ended up working at Rishimi from eight till four, and then driving from four till like ten in Loughborough, coaching right. not only with Matt but also then leading the second team. And again, I remember the first practice I took with the second team and we had we had all the university girls and we had like four ace girls, um, you know, and I've never coached, firstly, I've never coached women, <laughs> girls, and then I've never coached a, a program where we had two or three of them that are on the national team pathway, you know? Wow. So I took the first session and Matt was like, okay, why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why did you do this? I'm like, oh, this, is, this is what I kind of know. So yeah. I was like, okay, that's the real test of where we're at. And then I remember me and him sitting down saying, your aim with this team is these three need to get up to my team next year. So whether you win one game or eight games, I don't care. The aim is to develop. So my, the mindset was, okay, can I develop this group? That team the year before only had won two games. So there's no pressure of any kind, but Matt was like, let's really focus on developing the players. Right. You know, Come, come, come to the end of the year. We, I, I grew as a coach with Matt helping me, you know, working with different things and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, and then I was like, okay, let's see where this goes. And then we ended up winning Division One with Matt. It, you know, we went to the final four. We had a good run and we won. Um, and then with Division Two team, we ended up finishing second in the league, and we only lost five oh. games. So it was like a big jump. And two oh. of the girls had made the team of the WBBL. So there was like um, from Russell, there's like, okay, there's some value in what we're building right here. Right. And then again, we get back to the summer. I'm like, okay, now what do I do? I can't do this for a year volunteering because it it takes a toll. I've applied for my PGC. I went on two interviews. I got a place. So. The day I got, again, email saying, oh, you've been accepted into a PPGCE, which is one of the harder ones to get into sure. because everybody wants to do PE that does sports science. So I'm like super happy. Two hours later, Russell happens to give me a call and goes, <laughs> hey, I'm thinking about starting the girls' academy with a proper coach. Would you be interested? So I was like, now what do I do? Do I become yeah. a teacher or do I go into coaching? Um, and the money is 
way different, you know, as you can imagine, you know, a, a first level academy coach compared to a first level teaching salary. Yeah. So I'm like, what do I do? So I rang my, my PE teacher, John Peacock and Jay Acharya. I rang both of them and the best advice I ever got, he, my John Peacock, he was like, can you be a PE teacher at any time? I was like, yeah, I just got to do a PGCE course. He goes, okay, can you be a, a professional basketball coach anytime? I was like, no, I don't think so. He goes, well, why are you ringing me? You know the answer. Like, right chase that so i was like okay so i put the phone down rejected my pgc and just chased it and i took over that's when it started with the charnel program you know um just, just six, six girls on the roster so just before we go on to charnel which i think yeah. is you know worthy of a, a whole chapter like a whole talk um you know so at this stage you know with matt's influence mm. what are you um concentrating on Did, was there some things now that you started thinking hey i want to be known um as a defensive minded coach or um you know i'm going to teach each of the phases you know correctly was there anyone at this moment other than matt that was influencing you were you looking at um coaches in america or europe you know how they 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 taught the game or the how they were playing the game so at this at this stage with matt it wasn't i didn't have a, a conceptual style of how i wanted to play offensively or defensively it was more of if like if you know Matt Harbour, he was very technically driven. Like he's very he like he's one of the best coaches at teaching any kind of detail within the sport. So I learned more of that aspect. Like what are we trying to teach? And even remember talking about what I was like. So what kind of stuff do we want to run on the second team? I ran two offenses all year. He goes right. these are the two. Figure it out. That was it. And that was great for me because that showed me that instead of eight, nine, ten offenses, which I'm not sure, can I teach these two? And now I have to find every solution for these two sets, you know, and then talking about screening quality, cleaning read types of passes, all that kind of stuff. So that's what we did all year. Um, so that showed me that actually the value of, it doesn't matter what you're running, but the detail of what we are trying to apply. So his biggest influence was like focusing and having an eye for the technical detail on any part of the, the game. Um, and he helped me loads. He, he, he taught me, you know, how, how you should annually build your plan. You know, you can't just, first practice let's just go five one it's not like slowly progress and if your team loses because you haven't taught this it's okay because you're, you're going to get there and you want to be peaking around this time of year all that kind of stuff so all that kind of stuff gave me the right mindset of how to build a team and where to focus on the technical detail and then for me i was like tactical stuff can come uh, a lot of my tactical stuff came from me playing and watching you know i had a good feel for the game and i think that helped me with the game coaching and all that kind of stuff and Matt helped me really with focusing on the little details that you need as a basketball coach to make each player better. Right. So going to Charmwood now, um, you know, it's kind of a full-time situation. Like you said, you had six six girls. Um, who was coaching the boys was already set up, I'm assuming. So it was funny because before I got there, it, Matt and Mark were doing it while doing university. Absolutely, it was combined yeah. and it wasn't, it wasn't full-time, so it was really hard for both of them. So when they offered me the job, Josh Merrington got offered the men's job. So me and Josh came into Charnwood together. Right. So we had six girls and I think 12 boys. You know, yeah, I think he mentioned that in when I when I did the podcast with him. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty certain, yeah. So then now I'm in an office with Josh Merrington um, and we're trying to figure out how we can build a program together. And, you know, it was really fun working with Josh. We had a Charnwood program where... You know, at the time, nobody really knew who they were, you know, um, and it was like it was a good challenge. But 
we helped each other. We got along really well. So I got to help with the boys and he helped a lot with the girls. And again, I learned a lot from him because he was a different type of coach. You know, he was more like he had his, his tactical stuff and he was very good at teaching his tactical movements and spending a lot of time on that. And I gained that from him. I'm like, oh, okay. So these are the actions you're running, but he's really focusing on every kind of solution out of it. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to steal that from you and, you know, mm. have him to speak about because obviously he did, he coached WBBL uh, Division One before he came to us. So he had a, a prior knowledge of doing the elite stuff, you know, sure. where I wanted to be with. So and that, that were, you, were you talking on a, obviously you're talking on a daily basis mm. with Josh. Um, is there anyone else like Matt, I'm assuming, and then, you know, where, where else was there? Was there also any link to, you know, to, to Rob and the other program like there is at this moment? Obviously, the facility had helped mm. with that, mm. but obviously there wasn't one at that time. No. So early stages, a lot of conversation with Matt and Josh was a lot. Uh, Mark Jaram as well, because he was in our group. He did the, the Division One, so we, we were a lot together. My uh, Rob has always been very good. Any questions I've asked him, he always give me a response. My my relationship with Rob grew as I got older. When I took over the WBBL team, that's when me and Rob had a stronger relationship. At the sure. time, I, I believe I was a, a newer coach and I was just learning from the just the people above me, you know, um, with a little bit more experience than me. So that's where I was. But the 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 best thing was that I was surrounded by you know Matt Harbour. You know, Josh Merrington, Mark Jaram, and all these guys have coached really well now. Sure. Rob was around. And then what people understand, like Sam Heathcote was our SNC coach at the time. He's gone on to do like Paralympics and all that kind of good stuff. Like I was really lucky at that our age where I was as a you coach to be surrounded by these kind of people. But what people don't realize, all of us were the same similar age within one or two years. And we we all lead of our own program, but never really led a program, which is the the benefit that Russell gives you like, hey, you're young, but hey, run with it. And if you fail, <laughs> listen, you got no job. If you grow, we keep going and I keep supporting you. So it was a really good environment to be around. Right. And so you start, you're growing, you know, the the Charnwood program. Um, are you, are you, did you become the assistant on the, on the right, on the women's team at that time? Yeah. So I was assistant from before that. So I just continued that just role. Just continued that role. Yeah. yeah. So okay. it was then, we go into year two with Matt working with that team and then me running the second team and the, at the academy at the same time. Right. Okay. Um, you know, were you, was there any kind of, um, were you looking outside at this moment for any other influences? Um, did you, did you try to find some other influences or were you just, you were, you were, you know, it was such a good environment to learn from that you, you didn't think you needed uh, no, to I think at the time it was a very good environment to learn from, especially my, my first year. When I got to the end of my first year, that's when I, I reached, spoke to a couple of them and see if there's anywhere else I can go. And Matt put me in touch with Don Shawwater, and then I went to Snow Valley uh, right. in America. Snow, Snow Valley. The was that was that the original Snow Valley, or do you went where 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 did which where, which one Iowa. did you go to? I was one, I went to the one in Iowa. I don't oh, know. okay, right, I yeah, yeah, yeah. The original one. You didn't go to California, no, okay. no, 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 oh, no. Right, I went, right. I went to Iowa, and that's where. <laughs> I met loads of different coaches from obviously America and different kinds awesome. of Awesome. Great. And then I learned from there how, again, it was a, it was a teaching camp. It wasn't like a, hey, go play camp. So one, learned, if not the best, coaches. one yeah. of the best ever, exactly. you know, certainly in America, um, exactly. you know, as a teaching camp, you know, it's incredible. incredible. How they spend loads of time in teaching different coaches and like, there was 400 kids, but like 90 coaches, which is unheard of, <laughs> you know, because it's for the coaches as well as the players. So, yeah, right. at that, towards the end, I started to now reach out to different 
after that, making more connections and talking to different coaches from different parts of the world and in the US and, you know, trying to really upskill what I know and why I want to add to. Right. And, and at this time, um, because, you know, obviously, when did you start getting into the, into the, uh, into, uh, the national team pathway? Mm. See, that, that was a, a, another one. It was like the national team stuff didn't come until really late. It, right. it came until it came when I got the WBBL stuff. That's how further down it was. I was further down the list you know um as as you were all the way through um when i think vladan was running all that kind of stuff i never had a really look in i know josh did some stuff and then matt did some stuff and i was just never on the on the radar mm. with it um i remember going for like a regional job but they gave it to somebody else and i was like not understanding how come because the person they gave it to was still playing and i was still i was like coaching at elite level so i lost a little bit like okay i don't really understand um but then once i got into like the wbbl head coaching situation um mark clark was like hey you should really apply so then i started to apply for it and then i got in i got i finally got an interview before before i didn't even get an interview for it um and then i i didn't get the head coaching jobs because i applied for them but I, I understand that because i've never been i didn't expect to but then i was lucky enough to have two opportunities to assist i could have assisted with the under 16s with Kenrick or under 20s with Jeff and I've always wanted to work with the the higher end of the elite and so that's why I ended up going into the national team and Mark Clark was a big influence on that and obviously Jeff you know really vouched for me but that I think that helps because I coached Georgia at Leicester for a couple of years so she must have you know spoke well as well so I think that really helped but early on it was a it wasn't you know there, I didn't I didn't feel like I was in a pathway of any kind of sort right uh, with any kind of support to push up and that this was obviously back back in the day yeah no 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 no. we'll we'll, we'll come on to that in the, at the end when we talk about the you know the coaching and you know and, and the ed, coach education and the, the opportunities um so you know the charnwood is starting you know is growing you know like the whole riders program has grown you know like in a crazy crazy way you know both from standards and also you know in, in obviously numbers and everything that happens um when do you make the jump from charnwood to to the to the women's team and and talk about that process of actually then coaching older older yeah. girls and and women and and what what was that process and by the way also at that at this stage had you were you starting to think you know women this women's basketball is for me but mm. not not men's basketball or, or was it just the fact that this was the pro this was the opportunity that you had so if i start with the Matt gave me the opportunity to do elite basketball and it was women so my response was i don't really care if it's men or women elite is elite yeah. Um, and then once I started my, after my first year, I was sold into the women's stuff because there's such a, a big opportunity to grow something special. Huge. Um, yes. And I really enjoyed it. And the, the girl situation was something that was something that was different to me, but the same for me, I classed it as elite. And I think it was not seen as, and I wanted to help grow that. Um, but with, with the channel, they started to grow. We went from, you know, seven girls to 12 girls to 22 girls. You know, we we had more national team players. We created some, you know, we ended up winning some national championships as well. So that grew. We had some really good staff that, you know, came alongside and helped me. Like, not, my thing was not only trying to help girls. As I was getting older, I was like, I want to help other people that, like, Matt helped me. So Ali Parr was one of them that we brought in. Ash Cookson was another one we brought in to be like, I want to help you be not only 
I don't want to only help the players, but I want to help younger coaches, you know, get an opportunity. That's and they were outstanding for the, the program. And then it got to the year, Matt. So we were in, I want to say we're in August or July. We're in July and Matt uh, pulls me outside where the meeting in the arena goes. I need, I, let, I need to let you know before I let anyone else know that he's got an opportunity with ARU. Um, and I've, I've known Matt, me and Matt are like really good friends. And by then we're like really good friends. And I know he's closer to his home, close to his mom, good situation for, you know, Ash, his girlfriend and him. And he was like, I was like, it makes sense that he's going to look to take it if it's a good opportunity to build something, but also be closer to family. Sure. Uh, and he's like, I'm going to ask or push Russell to give you an opportunity for WBBL. Would you be interested before I say, hey, you should look at Kramesh? I was like, yeah, because part of me was like, if Matt's going to stay here for five more years, I don't think I can stay here for five more years because I want to be an elite coach, you know, right. uh, and I'm not trying to push anyone out. But, <laughs> you know, either I have to move or somebody has to move on. Sure. So he moved on. Russell then met with me, you know, 48 hours. And he's like, are you interested? So I'm like, yes, like I really would love to do it. And then the next thing was getting onto the phone with the players and be like, hey, do you want to come back? Even though Matt's not coming, you know, because it's a big thing. A coach leaves, players want to leave. Um, we were quite fortunate. All of all the players we ended up contacting when Matt was leaving decided to come back um, and also come to us. For example, like Holly Winterburn was a big, big question mark because Matt had done a lot for her. You know, and she that, before she came to Charnwood, and does she want to, you know, give me a chance to continue with her growth, or does she want to go, you know, somewhere else? Maybe like Barkin is a little bit more established doing it, um, but she trusted us. And then um, I remember D Hayward and Erin McGarrickin, they were leaving to because Scotland were in the Commonwealth build at the time, mm. and I was like, okay, so we have to replace them kind of too. What can we do? And then I remember having been an assistant. I think it helps because you build different kind of relationships. Sure. Absolutely. They both clearly had a good relationship with me and within the month had both rang me about coming back because <laughs> their situation hadn't worked. I was like, no problem. The guys, like, I can think I make, I can make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. So that was, that was, that was the first part of the, the elite stuff is like, okay, the recruitment part is different to like the academy part, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's a different kind of sell, you know, so they need to understand about who you are, what you're trying to do, how you can help them. But it's women. It's not younger girls, you know, it's, it's yeah. I, with the young girls, I understood what the pathway was and I could really like, hey, I think this is what I can help you with and I can really get you there. With a the pro one, it's again, I'm back to square one. Nobody knows I've done that kind of stuff. So why would you want to trust me? You know, right. try to get my, my, my case across. And again, they trusted me. The biggest thing I learned about working with the women's stuff is, is a bit dialogue, you know, better, clear communication, you know. Um, Again, I, I took the approach of coaching the team a little bit differently to Matt, you know, because we're just very different. I was going to ask you that. Yes. Yeah. So, what, what, what did you change? You know, yeah. was it was it tactically or, you know, what, 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 were, what were the things you changed? I think I think it was more so the personalities we were like Matt was very much technically driven, whereas I think I was more tactically driven, you know, more so. Um, so I put more emphasis on the tactical stuff than t the technical stuff, right. you know, and I was more about letting the players have a little bit more freedom in what I was trying to do within the structure rather than you have to do this, have to do this, have to do this. Right. And, and I think that blossomed a lot, you know, with some of the players and they gave them a little bit more freedom to play within. So I think that I took a lot of basis of Matt, what Matt built, you know, and just tried to tweak it a little bit to the personnel we have and a little bit of who I am, you know, and yeah. it could have gone, it could have gone either way. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was, it was on the base of what he'd already put in and I just tweaked it a little bit here and there to see why I can, you know, really get out of it. Yeah.
and you know obviously you know you know very you know with some real success there um you know what uh was there anything you take from there was and also was there anyone else now now you're a head coach of you know a top team um you know who are you now talking to you know who's you know, is there someone that you're like going to that, you know, you feel is Jeff Jones, you know, starting to be involved in at that time where you can go and ask him questions or what, 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 who, who were some people that you were kind of leaning on, you know, for the actual running a team for the first time at that level? Mm, that's a good question. I don't think I, I don't think I went, I reached out to anyone externally. I don't think I did. Me and, me and Matt spoke before I left and then he let, he left me to it. Russell and me spoke a lot about how we want to do stuff. And again, he left me to it. Um, and then I just, I just, I went, I went, I went on my own with it and right. learned, learned that way. I had a good assistant in Ash Cookson. So we bounced a lot of ideas off of each other, you know, supported each other. I spoke with the players, you know, they gave me some feedback, you know, whether I wanted to hear it or not, you know, yeah. I think that definitely helped me grow as a coach, you know? Um, but I, I, at the time, I, I didn't have anyone, I would say, as a mentor that was, like, above, above to that I can go to. I know, like, Matt would speak with, like, uh, Vladan and, you know, stuff like that. So with Josh, mm. but I, I never had that relationship with him, you know. So I was just, like, talking with the people I knew within my circle, like Mark or Matt or Josh or whatever. Right. Um, and figure it out that way, I think. Yeah. That's great. Um, very quickly, um, some of the standout moments from from working with the women, the women's team. You got like some favorite moments there. Yeah, I think the, I think like, obviously my favorite moment is the the WBBL trophy, and um, you know it's the first silverware for the WBBL team. That was huge yeah. for the program and for myself. But what I don't know if everybody knows, two days before the final, I had to have an ACL meniscus surgery, and um, so a month. Or two months before that, I tore my ACL in a in a local league game playing for the Leicester Riders local team. <laughs> right. Wish I hadn't played. And then we booked in with NHS to find the surgery. And they, they, they just tell you when it is. Yeah. And I remember getting the call a week before. And I was at Russell. The, 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 they said that I could do my operation in on Thursday. He goes, yeah, the final Saturday. He goes, yeah. He goes, you have to take the surgery. Because it could be another three, four months before you booked in. You can't Gosh. wait. And I was like, what about the final? Russell was like, take care of your body first. I was like, okay. And then everyone I spoke to had who has had an ACL injury, they're like, there's no chance in hell you're coaching. I'm like, nah, I'm going to coach. They're like, no, you're not. Because of all the, you know, the drugs you're on. I know it. I know yeah. it. I know. I've had two, two, yeah. two surgeries. And, yeah. you know, one that I did put off for a long while um, yeah. because of exactly what you're saying as well. You know, so just I, being... I took the surgery and I was like, I'm going to back myself. And then I, 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 uh, I hobbled to practice on... Friday I didn't do anything I was still on the sideline just in a in crutches spoke a little bit of stuff and then my sister's like we're ready if you need it so I'm like no I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna do it they're like everyone was like you sure I'm like yeah I'm sure I'm like my mind's on it I, I can do it so when they're Saturday and then I remember coaching the game I put my crutch down and the table officials obviously as you know you yeah as you're coaching they, they they start to know you I remember one of them Maggie Callender she was like telling me like always telling me off you know because i i'm I, I remember letting my brace go and i jumped a little bit and everyone was just like just angry at me i was like guys i can't remember that and then we ended up going into half time and then my <laughs> i can't remember my sister's like do you remember do you know what you just said there i was like 
mm, no he goes <laughs> yeah well you put you said hands in and you said something you shouldn't have said i was like ah <laughs> like i'm not gonna say what i said there but yeah, no, 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 it was quite no. funny and then we ended up winning the game and then i remember sitting down and be like my knee really hurts <laughs> the adrenaline's gone so i think that was one of the best moments for me in the in the with the wbbl team the other one would be getting to the O2. That group had been trying for years to get there and always falling short. And finally getting there was a big, big occasion. We started that moment that we should be there kind of, kind of situation. Yeah. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And then what I really enjoyed was the, the I, I was able to do it while blending in young players. You know, I didn't just play with the seniors. The no. young ones no, no. and a real opportunity to make an impact in them situations. And I really enjoyed doing that all the way through with that. No, that's awesome. Um, so, you know, I've obviously heard you, you know, talk about, you know, the whole thing with regards to Sweden, but, you know, you, you, what was, we, when were you thinking, um, you know, this is great, you know, I do enjoy being in this process here in Leicester, but, you know, I want something more. And how did that manif manifest itself? So I think it starts from, the program was going through changes, you know, um, and we were losing staff, you know, for various reasons, like Matt left, Josh left, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we needed to fix holes. So at the time I was doing WBBL, I was also still running the head of the academy, you know, wow. and doing that. So it, it's a full on job. And then I had my sister and Ash, he was doing the W Bucks teams because I couldn't do all of them. No. So it came to a point like, we need to, you know, what do we need to do? And, you know, for the better of the program, and again, I look back and I regret, I regret a little bit, but, but for the better of the program, it was it was better if I came away and became the head of the program and we brought in, it was easier to bring in a WBBL coach than it was a, an academy coach right. of the level we needed to be. I That's what we believed, yeah. which I think is fair. I think it's more people want, it's easier to get a professional coach from abroad to come coach a professional team than say, hey, come coach 20 kids at Charnwood, which is a full-on schedule. Yeah. Um, so that's why we brought, we bring it, we bring in Jesper. Um, and then that year, we had a, I had a phenomenal year. Like I worked, we I helped Jesper with the pro team, fixing the team and stuff, and left him to it. I coached the Division One team. We won the trophy that year. The under 18s went to the final. We we won WABL. You know, we were successful. Really. And then, I, but I was like, I was like, it's not the itch. I wanted to be at the professional level. You know, but again, I'm back in that situation where yes, I'm the lead of the head of the whole women's program. But I want to be coaching the elite level. But again, I'm back at that stage where I don't want to kick out. Don't get rid of him to give me the job. No, and that was the, that was the, we made that decision for the benefit of the program. Sure. I feel like that put me back a step without realizing in the moment, you know. And then this is when okay, I did one more year, and I was like, I can't, I can't do it again. Like I, it's not, I'm not enjoying it in that no. sense. Russell was always clued in with it. He, I was had a running dialogue with him, and he was sure. fully supportive. He could see it. He goes, you need to go do something else, continue to expand. And right. then maybe come back. And most people that know me is like, for me, I, I always have to have a, a challenge of like, what's next? I can't keep doing the same thing, not knowing there's a better challenge. And I think that that was an easy situation for me then to look into a, a different environment. Right. And, you know, quickly, how did you get there? And then we'll start talking about the situation that you're in now. So that was an interesting story again. Again, um, how, it, how, how it transpired was, as you do, when you're trying to look at different places, the best way is by contact. You know, who who do you know where to like, is there something? Um, and again, uh, what happened was I was, I, I explained to Russell, I'm, I'm going to explore. And he was like, yeah, fully supportive. I got an opportunity in Denmark 
So um, I knew that uh, I knew someone there who put me in touch with a with an academy situation there. But they had a but it was a men's program and it was men's division one and assist with the men's pro league. Sure. You know, so I was like, oh, this is a whole different environment. It's going into men's and somebody is willing to see what I've done and value that it's coaching, not just girls and women. It's coaching. So I went, I flew to Denmark, had the interview, did two days there, did the workouts from, they really were happy. They offered me the job. So, I mean, I mean, this is now move, few, move forward a month or so once they offered it, we're in like lockdown, you know? So I'm like, okay, like, what do I do? I'm like, spoke with the GM. He's like, look, I'm, I'm happy with, we come up with the contractual stuff. I'm happy with it verbally. And they sent me the contract. And then I meant to sign it and send it back. And then something just doesn't feel right. I, I couldn't tell you what it was, Tony. Just like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, is is, is it going to scratch what I want? Like, I'm going, uh, yes, I'm doing men, but I'm still not the lead coach in that program. I'm the assistant to the men's team and leading the second team. And I'm at, am I going to feel like that again? Like, I want to sure. be... So then I ended up turning it down. And then I'm, like, speaking to my friends and my family. I'm like, I think I'm going to be Leicester all my life. Like, like <laughs> jobs don't come by. Jobs don't come, like, especially abroad, like, like quickly. Two weeks later, Jesper messages me. He goes, have you seen what happened here? Uh, and I was like, no. He was like, the coach has decided to uh, retire or come away from coaching. He goes, you should send him the CV. I was like, no problem. <laughs> Sent it to him. And then a week later, I get a phone call from someone here, uh, the sporting director, and he just has a conversation with me. He goes, I spoke with Jesper and Susie because obviously Susie's there. And they, he said, before I rang you, and both of them spoke really highly of you. So Jesper spoke well, and Susie, I've known Susie when I first started riders and always had my back, spoke really highly. Um, and then conversations about idea. And then I was like, I'm going to be honest about what I want to do and how I operate. And they really, really liked my my ideas and my concept. And, and then after that, that was it. A couple of weeks talking back and forth, and they offered me a, a, a contract. That's awesome. Um, so let's talk about um, going to Sweden. Um, you know, some of the the things that you you're, you're now in, you, you know, what I call Europe. This is a, you know, a really solid basketball country. Um, what are some of the things that shock you straight away and that you, uh, you know, surprised you, you know, when you get, you know, right onto the court to, to start? What surprised me straight away was the how welcoming everyone was straight away you know that was for me like a big like it, i was i was going into thinking that people were going to be reserved and stuff because you know i'm new i don't really you know i'm not from sweden and you know um but no everyone was super welcoming super friendly wanted to know me wanted to help me i remember coming dropping my bags my the men's coach was a spanish guy my assistant you know and then another academy coach all came and took me to dinner into the city i was like nice. wow this is this is and straight away I felt like oh this is the, a good environment to be yeah. in and then basketball wise you know what What again I'm going into Europe I'm going to Sweden but everybody speaks English really well here really strongly they learn from a younger age it made, it made it easier for me Um, it's funny because some of the younger ones would not talk as much but now they don't talk they don't stop talking because right. it's, it's something newer to them sure yeah Um, how, how professional the women's side was for everything it was the same as the men so like little things to like you know changing rooms and all that kind of stuff yeah food on when we're traveling you know um like the the gym is decorated like a proper game with banners and everything for every game we have the introduction with the lights are turned off and they get own announcements there's, there's a projector there's a crowd like the environment for crowds though <laughs> maybe you you know this but i'm not used to it. there was 
when I go to away games, there's a changing room for the players, but changing for the coach. Right. The coach gets their own changing room. For me, that's yeah. like unheard of. Yeah. Like I remember so that's England, not that that doesn't happen everywhere, but yeah. you know, it can happen. But that's awesome. You know I mean? yeah. For me, then these are the things that like, oh, like sure, I'm just yeah. waiting for the yeah. girls to get changed, and then I'll go get changed. And, you know, so yeah. you know, all these things were like you know exciting times, but all positives. You know, not much negative stuff. You know. Right. Combine it a little bit. Um, talk a little bit about a, a typical week um, that leads up to a game, um, and mm -hmm. and how much different is that to what you would have typically typically done, you know, in the UK. So I think the biggest difference is I can just focus on my team. You know, that's rare. It wasn't going to the academy or going to the field. Like it was like just on my team. So um, that was good. We could prep the whole week how we wanted to do it, and then. Uh, the facility we have has key motion on it. So it was easy to record every practice just by click of a button and I could film everything and clip it. And we have sidelines so we can send clips to the players. So the plan is early part of the week is just focus on, you know, what we want to be better within our areas and send them tape with that. And then when we get to the latter end of the week, it was really focusing on what the other teams are doing, how we wanted to attack their, them and how we wanted to cover them. Um, but we would practice every afternoon around 4 till 5.30 um, Monday through Friday and then in the mornings either we either went at 7 o'clock or like at 10.30 depending on what, what we want the player schedule sure. skill workouts and stuff as well so we had a fine balance of really trying to increase their skills but also you know uh, focus on the team aspects of it all the way through and we had a gradual build all the way to the end of the the, the, the week yeah. ready for the game on the Saturday um, Are you giving them just typically in the season one day off or you know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a lot, because, you know, if it's a seven day, you know, mm -hmm. if you say for argument's sake, you play on a Saturday, you play on a Saturday. Um, I'm not sure what the schedule is, but if you play Saturday, Saturday, um, some, some coaches give one day off, mm -hmm. but then in the middle of the week, they, they take, they, they take something out um, and they go super light or I'm, I'm just asking that question. Yeah. This is a number of ways to do that um, a week in a certain week. So depending on how where we played, so if, obviously if we played on Saturday, Sunday would be off. If we played Sunday, Monday would be off. That was a normal thing. And um, what we would try to do is if we got to the Wednesday session, that's when we would change it more into a shooting skills kind of session. Right. Um, sometimes again, looking reflecting back, sometimes I didn't change that. We practiced every day, but yeah. we wouldn't do the skill workouts. So it was only one practice a day. So it wasn't right. it wasn't too much on them as well. Um, but again, looking back at it, trying to adapt it this year, change it this year, we're looking to pick a day where the players get a full day off in the week from the feedback we're getting. Um, and that's what that's coming from them. Um, but it also allows us to do more in the other days as well. So yeah. uh, it's like I said, I'm very much with trying to adapt with what the, what's best for the players as well as what I want. I'm not like, no, we have to do this, this, this. Right. Um, but also with, with I use a sideline and we monitor the RPs in wellness every week. And I can see the the flow and drop. So when I feel like it's on a low, I start to adapt the week um, a lot more. So I might pull sessions. I might make sessions lighter. I might make them less. I might put a team event in. So that's monitored week to week. So it's in, instead of saying we're going to four days, are you monitoring that, or is um, is your SNC uh, guy monitoring that? So me, me and the SNC together. You know, right. so we monitor together. So she's allowed to give me her feedback. But like, Kamesh, I think you need to drop it a little bit this week, or. Yeah. 
we can increase it or vice versa. I might say, hey, I think we need an extra hit. What do you think? So it's monitored with myself and her. And next year, I'll be monitored with me, an assistant and her, you know, so trying to get more people into it. Um, But like I say to all the players, they get to be honest with it. So it can really hone in. So we, you know, we monitor their sleep, how they're feeling, their mood, all this kind of good stuff then to pick how we want to practice that week. I can't just be like, hey, we're going to do this because I think this. It's not that. I need to know how you, not only how your body's feeling, but how are you feeling? Yeah. And, and, and adapt that a little bit. Where do you think you've grown as a coach um, this season? And would have you ever thought that you could have grown in those areas if you were still in the UK? No. Uh, as in, like, I don't think if I stayed in the UK, I would have grown in this area. The area is being able to change the goalpost of what you're trying to achieve. I'm coming from a program where, yeah, I built it up, but I was successful and I won a lot to a program where I'm starting from the bottom, you know, trying to build a program up. And that's obviously takes, you you know, you would have been there when you're in a program where you're trying to rebuild it. So it takes different kinds of situations. So my ambition is like, oh yeah, we'll get this done. I'll get rolling. And actually, no, you won't because there are teams that are already doing that. So that challenged me a lot a bit, but the, the, the management I've here were very supportive. There was a couple of situations where I'm at the end of a game, like really like we should have done this. We could have done that. Why didn't we do this? And they're texting me. That was really good. Did you do this? Or did you realize you got three younger ones in playing 12 minutes? That's never been done. And like, I was like, Oh, so they're seeing like all the positives of what I said I was going to do. And they're like, it's a process. It's not going to happen, but this is phase one. And That really helped me. Were you surprised at the level of the coaches of the other teams? Um, uh, or, or were you expecting that? Um, and is that part of the challenge that you wanted? Yeah, so part, part of me is I want to be challenged tactically, you know, um, and that's one of the main reasons I left. I, I wanted to be in an environment where I was going to get challenged. And um, one good thing about here that I've seen is every coach is very different in tactically how they do stuff. It's not, it's not, you're not going to roll up to the game and see the same kind of style. It's it's very different, different teams and coaches are willing to try a different kind of situation. So that was that was a fun challenge, you know, Um I thought I'd, I thought I really enjoyed this year. I don't think I was I didn't struggle tactically in my opinion. I don't think, but I was uh, pleasantly challenged, which I really like. So that's like okay, I need to be better in these areas, and this coach is very good at doing this, and that makes you think a lot more. Sure. Um, but also is that how can I do that while upgrading the team I've got right now to make sure I can do that as well. So no, for sure tactically there's a lot more going on, or and I'm seeing different things as you would because it's a different country, yeah. um, and coaches trying to do more different things. And this this league has a lot like younger coaches as well, you know. And I think younger coaches are now in that environment of like trying to do something different a lot of the time. So mm. it's a, it's a fun battle with a lot of the coaches for sure. Right. Uh, and last question. I mean, um, you've obviously, um, you know, got some success there. Um, and, you know, you've impressed people because you've, you were handed a free year contract and I've got to congratulate you for that. Um, are you, um, what's the aspiration for the program? To slowly now grow up into the, into the program. Uh, sorry, into the, into the league, build up, you know, bit by bit pushing up don't be don't be ridiculous with like Kramesh don't say oh now you're going to win the league it's not going to happen but no. can we go from here to here can we go from here to here that's the aspiration of trying to break into the, the stronger mold in the playoffs and make our way into the top four then can we you know talk about Euro Cup in the future you know that's the long term three four year goal wow. you know which is awesome. possible which is possible then it's like okay can we can 
for me, it's like, can I create Euro League, Euro Cup players? You know, can I create players going to the WNBA? That's the aim. Like, we had a girl in the league got a contract to the WNBA, um, and she's 20, 21, but she's not right. on my team, another team. So I was like, okay, this is a good environment. And also, it's like the the Swedish system is like the, the education is paid for here. So there's no there's no real need to push to hey you need to go to America to get better because yeah. actually education get paid for and I can we can create play here whereas in the UK it's more like well the education isn't paid for that's why US is a little bit more appealing you know mm. um, so the ambitions of the club is to keep growing to of the league but can we produce more and more of our own players so we have a, we ha- we have our team but below us we have another set of 16 girls and below that we have another set of another 16 girls mm. i have a 15 year old already practicing with my team i have two 16 year olds already up with the team we're looking at the next one so it's like can we bring our own players through but can we create them into good euro league euro cup players you know right. while trying to build a team to be a top 3 top 4 team as well over the over the years not straight away you know okay um getting towards the end here now but um thoughts on um you know british coaching you know and the coaching fraternity and then i've got some other questions after that but you know you you you, you've alluded that you didn't speak to as many coaches um do you feel that there was you know there was times where you more people should have been talking to you asking your advice or and 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 vice versa what what, what's your thoughts on us as a as a coaching fraternity i I think growing early when i was started it, it was like people didn't know who i was and nor did they want to know who i was you know that's how that's how i felt and as i've as i've slowly got more experience and you know had some success it still feels the same way. I don't think as many people are, are, are speak, reaching out and speaking to me or, you know, um, and I, I, I'm not too sure why. But what has happened is there are a handful of coaches that I now speak to that I wouldn't have before. And that's been really good, you know, um, and they're becoming like more friends, but they're, 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 that's growing. But I don't think every every coach is, it's not because they don't want to talk to me. I think I think everyone's a little bit more reserved. I think they feel like you can't talk to each other or you shouldn't talk to each other. And mm. I think this year and last year, that's changing more. Um, but, but this is me talking in, in, the, in the past. In the past, past. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I understand but yeah. I, I think it'd be, I think the more coaches that are willing to talk to each other open out. So I've reached out to a few people myself, like who I believe are younger coaches, be like, hey, if you want to talk to me, I'm here because I know sure. when I was there, nobody ever reached out to me to be like, hey, if you want to talk. But I I, I was quite fortunate because of the people that were around me were enough, you know. I wasn't on my own. I, I, we had a group of four or five. I was never alone. But sure. I know there are, there are some programs out there that you could feel lonely on your own. So I'm like trying to reach out to some and be like, hey, look, you can just, I'll sit there and listen. I'm not trying to say I, I know everything or I know anything. I just want to be led to talk to you because I know I would have appreciated that. But I didn't feel like growing up there was a, a a fraternity, and if there was, I don't feel like I was part of it. Right, I was I was I was really lucky with the people that are around me, and the people I met on my journey that stayed and helped me out. Yeah. But yeah. people that weren't on my journey, I don't I don't feel like they you know would speak to me or reach out to me at all. And if mm. I didn't coach the WBBL, I don't know where I would be at all because I think that that gave me a little bit more validation of okay, like, hey, or oh, maybe he does know what he's kind of doing yeah sure sure <laughs> um 
you know, obviously, you know, linked to this is the fact that, you know, not only are you a trailblazer um, by going to Europe and so, you know, and, and coaching abroad, it's so few um, British coaches that have done that, that have taken the challenge. Um, but you're also, you know, from an ethnic minority or your, 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 your family background is, um, you know, I know that Mark asked you this question about, you know, your Asian background and, you know, you know, the, 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 the Asian coaches, um, you know, Asians playing basketball, what, what, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I personally, and I'm just going to say this, I think that our governing body is missing a real opportunity with someone like yourself. Um, you should have your own special program. You know, you should be mentoring us a set of coaches and that's not, you know, to say everyone should have a special group. I'm not saying that, but you know, we, we know that there's a, um, our, our sport of all the sports in the UK is inclusive of everyone. Everyone wants to play basketball. Everyone loves playing basketball. Um, and there's a big, you know, population, um, you know, from the Asian community that want to play, want to coach, and we're not reaching them and giving them that opportunity. This, this is my, me speaking here. And for me, it, I think you've nailed it because I come from an, an environment where when I was at school, 80% was Indian, 80%, you know, sure. my basketball, my basketball team was 12 of us, well, nine of us were Asian, you know, um, if you'd ask me how many of them play now, none, you know, some play for fun here and there, but it, it just, it's just not given. And I, I speak to my friends afterwards and stuff and like, oh, how come you didn't continue into sport? Because a lot of them, you know, firstly, you are not not pressured, but it's encouraged in our in the Asian background to go into like accounts or doctor or you know go to a job that's going to pay you. You know, you know, <laughs> sport isn't one of them because there isn't any role models out there getting paid doing their sport. And then first thing when you're playing is okay. If I'm not going to be a professional player, I'm going to do something else. You know, they don't know there's an avenue for a coaching or physio or SNC all that kind of stuff. You know, because again, yeah. somebody asked me, oh, who's your who's your role model? You know, in the Asian community, I was like. I couldn't tell you, you no, no, no. there isn't you know it's not it's not it's not well known um and that's what something that for me is like okay I want to be able to change like so yeah my, when I first told my dad you know I was going to go down the sports avenue and all that kind of stuff he was he was questioning are you sure is that something you want to do blah, blah, blah. but as he got older he was more like he could see my passion and be supportive of what I wanted to do it was funny because even after that <laughs> After the first year of university, somebody asked, oh, what's commercial? My mom and dad both said, oh, something with business and accounting or referee. My dad was like, maybe refereeing. You know, they weren't really, because, you know, it wasn't really honed on. But, but for me, it's like, if there, if there isn't a role model for you to look up to, how can more people want to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's where we're, where we're at right now. Like, we talk about inclusion of other people, but there isn't. How many, like for me, it was like, oh, how many other Asian coaches, you know, I th and I think I know two. One's Tahir, who's now gone into commentary a little bit more. And one's Abam, who's like, you know, doing in Leicester with the school stuff. And they're both in Leicester and they're not even anywhere near the level like I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm just like, there isn't a big why, why, you know, why in for argument's sake, just, you know, I'm just picking a community I know in, in, in London. Why is there not someone in Tower Hamlets or, you know, in Southall yeah. um, that were, was running a great program? you know and um there's that that really you know that's disappointing from our sport because we what we we are an inclusive sport you know we almost don't shut at any any levels you know both male female disabilities everything and so we should be you know doing more in this area 
Well, exactly. And I, I use obviously just the Leicester area, but there's so many different areas like that in the in the country. But if I could, if we can take a session at Rushamid and grow to 90 kids, there's people there wanting to play. And from them 90 kids, how many of them could be coaches, referees, table officials, SNC? Like we, we need to get into them and target them. But again, we need to have, show them that it can for me, it's like there needs to be more out there showing that it can be done in the Asian community in sport, you know? And unless they see that, why are people mm. going to be like, okay, I want to do that, you know? Like, Again, we're in Leicester, and which is a highly uh, Asian populated uh, city. But what, how much are we doing to target the Asians? You know, mm. you know. Luckily, we have someone like Joe Pinchin who was there, who took my look, took my idea about we should do a Diwali game. We did a Diwali kit, China. You know, that's not heard of. You know, but we're not. I don't think we we don't do enough to push that. But mm. it stems from like even for me, like I got quite fortunate. That I really my PE teacher John Peacock and Jay Achara, like they really pushed. And sport, you know, and they sh show me the passion, and that's why I wanted to do it, you know. Mm. But all my other friends, that it wasn't the same. But no. imagine if the like, why do all these people want to be footballers? Because well, they see something they can relate to, or you know, there's an opportunity for, you know. Hence, why my dad wanted me to be a cricketer. All the, there's those Asian guys that are really good at cricketer. And the next one, he was like, you need to be a golf golfer, <laughs> yeah. you know. But because you know, you know, there's a one golfer that was Asian that came through, but. Again, for me, what people ask me why I want to continue to do what I want to do is like the higher up I can get, the further I can get, I hope to inspire more people to join me and be like that. Like I reached out to be like, okay, I want to speak to someone that's Asian and who can I speak to? I found a group in America and right. it's Asians as in, you know, from... Yeah. Oh, Southeast Asian. Yeah. 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 And Vietnamese, I, like, Filipino. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they, oh, they, yeah. they rang me straight away. Yeah, had sure. calls yeah. with different people and just like, yeah, yeah. no problem. Like, but... How is that? I have to go, you know, all the way there to find somebody to speak to, speak yeah. to them about. But for me, it's like a difficult conversation because if you speak to it too much, people are like, oh, you don't understand. You're just saying that because you're saying it. But I'm like, I'm not saying, you know, people are, you know, discriminating or racist, but sometimes it feels like you're on your own, you know, because mm. you, are, you are different. But who, who can you turn to when there's no one I know I can no, turn to? No, no, you go through it. It's a great, great point. Um, let's we could go on for a long while on that one but i really appreciate those honest words there um let's just finish it with three quick questions so favorite drill the uh, that you have uh, that you use at this moment the, the one i'm having the most fun with and i really enjoy is having uh the fever three on three style into practice i i right. i absolutely enjoy it why because it's fast paced everybody gets touches and it's the one drill that I don't think anybody complains about, about, oh, I'm not playing, I'm standing on the sideline. It's it's going all the way through and I'm using it to do different things. You know, like we could talk about like one-on-one -on -one defense or pin downs or ball screen, but within that environment, that's fast paced. But that's my favorite drill because, you know, if, if you talk about it, if people say five and five really gets 10 people, this at least gets, you know, 12 people involved straight away. Yeah two coaches are involved because I can't be at both ends of the floor and you're, right. you're teaching all the time because it's everyone's getting touches. So I think that's my favorite draw at this current moment using, especially in the off season as well. Okay, great. Um, favorite all time basketball coach. See, I, I was, when, when you asked me the question, I wrote it down as just coach. I was like, Oh, he just means it could be anyone, you know, like, yeah, it can be anyone. There's some, some coaches, some coaches on the podcast have talked about their, their first ever coach that they, that coached them. And some talk about the all time great, great coaches. So I had to think about it. Like 
I want to mention like there are coaches that I really looked up to that aren't in basketball, you know, like someone like Alex Ferguson or Bill Belichick or Steve Hansen in the New Zealand team, because they do so many different things within their team environment. You know, they're all team coaches yeah. and created different cultures of team. Um, basketball wise, who who's my favorite? Like I, I really enjoyed watching different coaches through the years, you know, like uh, Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich have played a really good brand of basketball, but who I think at the moment who I, I like it because he's very innovative is Brad Stevens. I think he's doing, he's trying to do different things all the time. And I associate myself like, I want to do different different things on the floor, defensively and offensively. And he does that. So I'm like, okay, I can really relate to what you're trying to do, steal what you're trying to do, but that kind of, that kind of coach. So I would say him for, for, for right now. Awesome. And then lastly, um, favorite go-to saying or statement that the players hear almost all the time. Well, it's funny you said that. I had to. I, I, ran, I was on the phone with Ali Parr, and I was like, you know, he heard me a lot in practices. Like, what do you hear? There's a couple, so I had to write them down. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> go through them. They were like, if they do, if they do silly errors, I would always be like, what are you doing with my hands open like that? And they knew exactly because it was like such an obvious error, or. If they, if they had excuses, I always asked them, like, ask me if I care. And they, they knew it was an excuse because they knew it was awesome. a silly one. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was, it was very simple to, where, I, where I, I, I home into is like, either you do it or you don't do it. That's it. That's there's, right. there's, there's no in between. So yeah. they're, the, they're the three ones I'd go into for reasons why. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. My statements. Coach, listen, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, you know, we could talk for, as usual, for a lot longer. Um, and, you know, I, w- I want to wish you all the success. I mean, it's great. congratulations again on signing the contract and extremely hard to be able to continue coaching in Europe. And I only think that you can go further than that and uh, wish you all the best in the future and uh, have a great summer as well. No, I really appreciate you having me on and I've had a lot of fun talking to you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Time Out. You can now find all of our episodes on iTunes and Spotify, so please like, subscribe, and let us know who you'd like to hear from in a future episode.